Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 14 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. Don't forget, subscribe on Stitcher, subscribe on iTunes, as well as listening on SoundCloud. Any way you want, you can listen to our episodes here of Talk is Cheap. And we have a, a crazy podcast for you. It's been a crazy week around the New York Giants with J.C. Pierre-Paul. Uh, we'll, I'll get into here with Jordan, my guest, and, and he's with us every week. Jordan Renan covering the Giants. He's with me this week as we talk about the fallout from J.C. Pierre-Paul. We get into a little bit of the, what happened between him and the Giants uh, and why J.C. Pierre-Paul wouldn't let the team see him while he was making the decision to amputate his finger. The whole situation with Adam Schefter, should he or should he not have tweeted out the picture of J.C. Pierre-Paul's medical information? And then what happens next as the Giants have to try to get set for a season, try to bring back this player, and all the awkwardness around the Giants. So plenty to talk about. Sit back, enjoy episode 14 of Talk is Cheap right here on our NJ.com podcast. Let's start with the elephant in the room. I feel like the bigger story almost than the fact that JPP has lost a finger here and he's severely injured and will miss a lot of time uh, is what happened and how we all found out you know, that he did have his finger amputated. Adam Schefter of ESPN uh, obtained the medical chart. He tweeted it out. Uh, I have to ask both of you guys, as, as two guys who cover the NFL, cover the Giants, hypothetically, if that was you, I mean, would you have done the same thing? Because that, to me, has been one of the most interesting talking points of all this. How we all found out visually, we saw it because Adam Schefter of ESPN tweeted it out. I mean, uh, it's it's a very good question when you think about it. Uh, you know how how would you handle that? And uh, you know, I'm, I guess you're not 100 percent sure until you get in that situation. Now, you know, we're sitting there Monday morning quarterbacking his decision, but uh, I I think the way it would have unfolded, at least with me, is uh, you know, we would have received the information. Look, we receive a lot of information as reporters. You know, I, I got somebody actually even offered a, a a picture of JPP's hand for money recently. You know, these are the kind of ridiculous emails you get. Well, you know, left and right. Uh, you know, m- much of them are, aren't even close to reality and not no truth to them. But so, you know, let's say you get it and you confirm that it's real, which is in itself a difficult thing. Uh, but to me, it seems like at that point I might have realized that that's enough. That I I didn't I don't know if the picture added that much. You know, Adam Schefter has enough credibility if he reports that he's going to have his finger amputated. I don't think he you need the visual to get that point across. So granted, it adds a, a little extra I don't know shock value, but I'm not sure. I, I we probably I think here at, at our company we probably would have held off on, on publishing that and we would have just went with the. Uh, Went with, the, went with the story, and I think the story by itself was big enough, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it was, too. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like you said, Jordan, you know, Adam Schefter is the type of guy that he has enough stature. I mean, you and Nick have enough stature with our Giants readers that I think they would have believed you. Look, if this is someone that is just up and coming in the, in the business and trying to make a name for themselves, I get it. But in terms of Schefter and in terms of what he was trying to do there, I mean, all it did – was kind of add the shock value to it that we could see it and and we realize you know it's in it's in writing there this is exactly what's happening but I'm with you if he said it we would have you know believed him and never went around with the report anyway but as it went that became a big story and I mean do you think he was I mean I'll put it this way do you think that JPP and the Giants were upset that he did that or is this just kind of the way it works now with the media and with this business that if you have something, you put it out there, and it's you know it's he didn't steal the information. Someone gave it to him. 
Yeah, well, let me just say this. You know, Jason Pierre-Paul, and, you know, he's not worried about this kind of stuff right now. This is a guy who's worried about his long-term health and his career. He's not worried about, you know, his his record, you know, his the news getting out there that he had his hand amputated. I, when he was going to get you know, it was going to get out there anyway. This is a point that Schefter made. It was going to get out there regardless, you know, there, there, whether it was Adam Schefter or not. So I don't think Adam, Sh- I mean, uh, JPP in general, is is sitting there in his you know hospital bed or recovering wherever he is at this point, and worry too much about you know how the information got out there. He was he made a decision that's going to affect his long term health you know moving forward and uh, his ability to hold his own child and you know interact with his family and and possibly your likely continue his playing career. So I think to him you know his health is the utmost concern at this point. And, and all this stuff that we're all talking about really isn't at the top of his list. Right, and that makes sense because, I mean, this guy has to live his whole life, you know, with that, what the decision he made. And, and we're talking about it from a football perspective. Uh, but from the football perspective, when you heard, Jordan, when you heard the news and, and saw the, the tweet from Adam Schefter, just like everyone else, um, what was your first thought? Did you think immediately what we wow. ultimately found? Wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I mean, that... Well, wow. has to be it. Did you realize immediately that this would help him get back to the field faster, which is, I guess, why he did it? Or did that take a few minutes to kind of, you know, work out in your head? Because it took me a few minutes to say, oh, okay, this was... No, no, I needed to talk to people before okay. I came to that conclusion, you know. I mean, I, I we're, no, we're so in the dark on what his... Uh, we were so in the dark on what his actual physical condition was that until we found out some of the details, or at least, you know, some of the details that they wanted to... Uh, get out there, did you know that, that that was the way it was kind of, that was part of the decision. You know? And the way it was told to me was that, hey, he can have a disabled, uh, non-fully functional, functionable finger uh, that they didn't know how long it was going to take to heal. It would take a long time, and it would keep him on the sideline for quite a while. Uh, or he can make the decision to get rid of that deformed finger that was never going to be fully functional anyway and that they weren't sure how it was going to heal and they could get rid of it and his return time would be his return timetable would be at a much faster than it was uh, you know with the alternative so you know he decided to to go with the amputation at that point and uh, you know until you find that out it's hard to really you know what even if you hear it it's hard to really comprehend that making that decision because you know that's not something that me or you, or most people in this society have ever been in. Of course not. I mean, that's a situation you, can, you can't even imagine being in it uh, until you're in that situation. Uh, let me ask you this. Another hypothetical, Jordan, you know, from the perspective of what happened when the Giants went down, and that became a big story last week. The Giants sent some representatives down there to go see how Jason Pierre-Paul was doing right in the midst of, of these decisions he was having to make. Obviously, very personal decisions, and, you know, ones we talked about, of course, will have long-term uh, you know, ramifications for him and right. and for his entire life here. But he didn't let the Giants see him. Would you have done the same? To me, it's hard for me to believe if I was in that situation and my employer or someone, you know, I work for came down, I wouldn't let them at least have a conversation with me. He didn't want to do that. Look, you know, Dave, this is something that JPP's team has set out a long time ago. I mean, this was way – this was, you know, before – anything even happened here, they were adamant that he wasn't a member of the Giants, essentially, uh, until he had a deal. 
and he didn't have a deal, and he didn't have it signed, and you know they kind of stuck. They've kind of stuck by that. And on top of that is they made this a life decision. He's closed off everybody, Jason Pierre-Paul. Nobody outside of that room, the people closest to him, the people of his family, and his you know really close inner circle have talked to him. And you know what? The Giants are not part of that inner circle. That's all right, in my opinion. I don't see a problem with the fact that his employer is who who is was sort of unwilling to really, you know, to commit to him long term to this point is, you know, all of a sudden going to be allowed into that inner circle. Like, so, uh, you know, me personally, I don't have that much of a problem with it. I don't, I don't think there should be a huge uh, uproar about how he wouldn't let them in. You know, he, he made a decision. Hey, it's his body. Uh, you know, it's his future. He's uh, at most a giant, at least right now, for one year until, unless they you know, put a long-term deal on the table, he's going to sign right now, which we all know isn't happening. So what is he then? You just said in there that, you know, he was acting during this as if he wasn't a giant and making his own decisions, which is fine, and that's, I don't, I don't have a problem with that either because this is a major life decision, but right now it's a weird limbo thing where we know he's going to be on the Giants, or, you know, 99% sure he's going to be on the Giants this year, but he's not a giant right now. When, if I say to you, what is Jason Pierre-Paul right now, what would you say? Uh, you know, he's essentially a free agent with an offer. He's just not allowed to sign with another team with an offer on the table from the Giants. Uh, and if anyone else want, you know, other teams can offer him a contract. The Giants just have the right to match and get two first round picks in return if they decide, you know. So essentially, he's a free agent. And, uh, you know, but the Giants, they don't own his rights, but they control his rights because. They're not just going to let him go, you know, without having a say in it one way or another. Either they let him go or they decide to match or they sign him or they sign him to a long-term deal. So, uh, you know, the, the letter of the law says he's a free agent at this time and uh, the Giants just have the right to match if another team makes an offer. So that's how I would classify that and that's how they're looking at it. And uh, I'm, I'm not, not sure if that's the way I would have traveled. I would have probably, you know just at least kept the Giants in the loop. Look, I, if you don't want to listen to them and, and listen to their advice, that's fine, but I probably would have given them a heads up uh, of what I was doing and what moves I was making in regards to amputating my finger. Now, do we think there's any chance here that the Giants are put off by the way he handled it in terms of with them and not keeping them in the loop and, and all this kind of stuff with the contract and the fact that he's in limbo right now, that at some point they pull their offer and just say good riddance, or is it not worth it to them because they don't have a replacement and whenever he gets back, I mean, it's not like they could use that cap room on another free agent at this point in, in the game in mid-July here. I mean, is there any chance that the Giants say, see you later, or, or does that not make sense from, from a football perspective for this year? Yeah, I just don't see it happening. I mean, they've said that, they, you know, we've heard there's a source that, you know, they're going to keep him. Uh, you know, they fully intend to have him on their roster. Now, I guess the only thing that could really throw that for a loop would be if the finger in the hand is really much worse than it's being let on at this point. And if it's to the point where they realize, hey, we're not going to get anything for this $14.8 million. But on the flip side is I don't know how they're going to get to that point and come to that realization because right now, you know, he, it's Jason Pierre-Paul's show and uh, the Giants are on the outside just like the rest of us. So, uh that's sort of where the situation stands right now. You know, they, but they full inti- fully intend to keep him because they need Jason Pierre-Paul. Look, even if Jason Pierre-Paul is 70 80%, to them he's probably worth that $14.8 million. I think that's the way they view it. 
because he's worth that $14.8 million because there is no contingency plan for a guy like Jason Pierre-Paul at this point. I know people will knock his game, but look, let's be honest. There's nobody on this roster, there's nobody out there that has the you know capability of rushing the passer and still even year where people complained about him last year had more than you know double digit had double digit sacks and he's an excellent run defender so uh, you know they're gonna cross their uh, cross their fingers I uh, you know it's a it's a bad term in this case but they're gonna hope that you know he can be any sort of the player that he was in the past despite these injuries because they need him this is a team three years in a row hasn't made the playoffs. They they have a depth at the position. You know, they have enough guys where they could fill it, but they don't have a guy that can really fill it, if you know what I mean there. You know, like there's enough guys that they can get a little bit from this guy to stop the run. You know, George Selvey, you know, uh, Gizua, and, uh, you know, Demontre Moore can, can give some pass rush, but they can't really fill the void that Jason Pierre-Paul would leave if they, if they cut ties from there. And with the situation they're in, they have a 68-year-old coach, a 34-year-old quarterback who happens to be playing on the last year of his deal, a very uncertain future for this franchise. Uh, they need that talent on the roster, and they, they're, they're going to you know, give it a shot and hope that it turns out best. And, and that, that's sort of the line of thinking right now. As we move forward here, Jordan, you start thinking about you know, his timeline and when he could heal and all that kind of stuff. We don't know for sure, but we also know that in addition to having the finger amputated, the right index finger, he lost or he you know, shattered his thumb. From everyone you've talked to, and I know this is a very, very specific case. It's not like you deal with, you know, not like a hamstring where you can give me other examples of other players or the same player. This is very unique. But from everyone you've talked to, which is going to be more of a problem for Pierre Paul and the Giants in the short term here? Is it going to be the fact that he's missing a finger and has to deal with that, or is it this thumb that has to heal before he can actually start you know, getting out there and conditioning, let alone playing? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question. There's a lot of things. I mean, I think the mental part, and this is what Ronnie Lott talked about when he you know, was asked about it on the Rich Eisen show last week. Uh, there's the emotional part that goes into this. The, the fact that he's going to look down at his hand once they take off whatever's there, you know, the cast or you know, bandages or whatever, and he's going to have to come to the realization that there's not a finger there in that spot where you're just used to a finger. And, you know, he's going to have to, you know, learn to function and operate without it. I think this is all part of a, this is all part of a process. Uh, now, I think it's possible to do. I know everyone talks about how hands are, just, you know, especially for that position are that important, and I agree. But at the same time is, you know, Guys are able to play with casts. Uh, you know, guys are able to play with you know hand limitations when it comes to playing defensive line. And you know, Jason Pierre might pay Pierre Paul may have a limitation, especially early because he's get you know because of the situation he's in. But at the same time, I think he can play and be effective. And you know, it's hard for me to comprehend and for me to really understand. But you hear all a lot of these doctors saying. You know, you lose that finger, and it, it's fully possible to come back, and he should be good, and he should be effective. And, you know, it, for me and you, Joe, the idea of losing a finger, I think, is, is uh, we wonder how you could ever play again, basically. But uh, the doctors seem to think yeah, that that finger, it's possible. And, hey, who am I to argue? I, don't, I, don't, I, ne I, never, uh, I, I never tried to do it, you know? 
Yeah, neither. Uh, neither I don't think anyone listening probably has tried to do that, which is a good thing. But then, yeah, this is yeah. a very unique yeah. case. It's a very well, unique. Most people don't have that. Well, of course, it's a very unique situation here that you know to talk about and, and to break down. It's uh, we're dealing with something we've never dealt with before. Uh, as far as the the timeline here, and as far as it's almost like a game of chicken with this contract for people out there listening who have heard a little bit of the fact that JPP wants to wait to sign the Giants want to sign. Give us the t- get why this is with a non-football injury list. Why? What would be the benefit for Pierre Paul to wait here before signing the contract that he's eventually, you know, going to sign? It's not going to change. It's the one-year tender. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't want to go on this non-football injury list because that essentially shifts the power. The, sh- the power all of a sudden then goes into the Giants' hands. They can decide when he passes a physical. They can, de- you know, they can decide. Uh, you know, what they're going to do with him. They can decide, once he gets on that NFI list, if they decide he's not ready week one, you know, once he signs that tenor, tender, they, they can decide, okay, we'll put him on the NFI list. And then it's their decision once it comes to week one of whether, you know, once they, if they put him on the NFI, NFI list once the regular season starts and the roster's down to 53, there goes six games for Jason Pierre-Paul. You know, so that's, that's out of his hands at that point. Uh, and that, that would be a decision that the Giants are able to make. So for him, the idea is to not come back until you're ready to get on the field, then you sign the tender, So, which in reality means, hey, the likelihood is he's going to be working out by himself in Florida until he's ready to play, and that's not going to make anybody happy. No, of course not, because the Giants you know, want him in the facility. How about the fact that, I mean, I know uh, the Giants are re, you know, re-bringing back a defensive coordinator they're very familiar with. If Pierre Paul wasn't around... With Steve Spagnuolo, how about that? You know the fact that he's going to lose the learning curve here on top of everything else. I mean, he's a defensive end. You should you figure he'll be able to get out there and make plays just because you know he makes plays and, and his physicality when he's healthy. But uh, do you think that's a concern and should be a concern for Giants fans that he's not going to be able to learn a new defense? You know, he wasn't even there before when they were in there for minicamp. Yeah, he's going to be behind. That's for sure. But let's be honest. Uh, you know, they can find a way to get it done if they really want, and everybody. You know, if they, they come to some sort of an agreement, which, you know, that's what it's going to come down to. Is there going to be a financial middle ground that everybody's willing to, to meet and the conditions, that whether it involves uh, getting paid while he's on NFI, if the Giants think that's necessary, a certain amount, or uh, guaranteed the full money, uh, which seems to me would be a real leap of faith by the Giants if they, if they did that. I don't, I don't know if they could really go that far. Uh, but, yeah, you know, there's going to have to be some middle ground to get him in there to try and get him ready to play. Uh, you know, he the, the good part is he was staying close with defensive line coach Rob Nunn even during the offseason, uh, you know, the, mid, the mini camps and the OTAs. So he was getting a lot of the stuff. He was supposedly supposed to be looking at it and stuff. So he should be familiar with it. Uh, and you just hope that the transition and his ability to learn it can uh, progress to the point where it wouldn't be a big problem. But I, I think it, it would be a little limitation. But at the same time, as you just say, go out there and go make plays and, and, do, and do your thing. And uh, I think he, he would be able, if he's healthy, to be able to do that, for, you know, regardless of, of what the, the defense was and that they'd be able to help him along and make it work. All right, we got a Twitter question here from uh, Alex. He wants to know, he said, the last couple times the Giants have won Super Bowls and had big years, they've had different injuries and different issues they've had to deal with in the summer and early in the season, and they've rallied from that. Uh, is that the type of thing they're going to have to try to do here with Beattie down, with 
with JPP down or are these guys, you know, too much of talents to lose and it's going to just catch up to them. They can't really withstand the loss if, if they do miss Pierre Paul for a significant time. Yeah, well, I think the Giants' defense is in trouble if they're without Pierre Paul for a significant period of time. I, I don't know if they could withstand that. Uh, you know, they uh, they might be able to survive Beattie. We don't even know that. Uh, you know, so when you're starting to lose key players on both sides in different spots, like, this, look, this team in the first place, you can question how good they were going to be. Uh, they can't afford much more injuries now. They have It, it really... Uh, eliminates any room that they possibly had for error that was that was there before. Uh, you know, one more injury to that offensive line at this point, and you could basically sound the alarms. Uh, you know, any anybody on that defensive line, if, if anything happens to Jonathan Hankins and, and Jason Pierre-Paul's out for a little bit, I mean, watch out. That's just a, a danger zone. So it really, really limits their room for error. And I, I, this team isn't the previous team that won the Super Bowl. This team has... It is not especially deep, and they can't they can't afford any more injuries. I and I personally don't think they can really withstand any long term assets of Pierre Paul or uh, him not being anywhere near the player he was. I, I think that would be a blow that they couldn't overcome. All right, we'll wrap this episode as we talk Jason Pierre Paul throughout this month of July with this crazy story. Two two questions left for you. The first okay. first comes in from Joe on Twitter, and he wants to know. I think it's actually a good question. He said, Sunday night, September 13th, you'll be in Dallas for the first game of the season. How many of the following two players will be on the field in uniform playing? Jason Pierre-Paul oh, and okay. Des Bryant. Two, one, or none? I'm going to go with one. I like Des's chances. Uh, this is posturing. You know, I, Des Bryant does not want to give up an NFL game check at this point. I mean, that's a big, it's a big chunk. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see that happening right now. I'm going to say Pierre Paul, to me, seems like everything would have to go perfectly in order for him to be back week one. Um, I, and I just think that there, it might take longer than, you know, the ideal, you know, utopian timeline that's being, that, that, that's been like kind of put out there. So, uh, I'll say one of the two, Des Bryant. What do you got, Joe? I'm going to go one, two. I think Des Bryant's the one. I mean, it's, to me, it's either none or it's one. I, I don't think you're going to see both of them out there because I, I just don't see how Pierre Paul, like you're saying, the, you know, the utopia way. I, I can't see any way he's ready on September 13th. Yeah, I mean, what, what is it right now? We're on. Uh, it's actually two months from today. How about that? Two months, that. yeah. I mean, that would that, be a remarkable timeline. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's got multiple, it was multiple fractures in the hands with the thumb being, uh, apparently being the most serious, uh, you know, ideal world, the thumb, they said six weeks from the injury, that would take him middle of August, uh, end the training camp kind of deal, give him like four weeks to really ramp back up and, and get back on the field, you know, uh, the skin would have to heal perfectly, the amputation would have to heal perfectly, uh, you know, no complications, and then you have to deal with the fact that he's got to get in shape, which is, on, you know, he's going to be inactive for a while here. I mean, he's already been inactive for, what, two, you know, ten days? Uh, he's not getting back on the field tomorrow to start working out, so we're going to look at at least probably like a month absence of doing anything, and uh, so it's going, to, it's going to be a grind, and uh, we'll see if he really, you know, they've always said, uh, I heard Zach Diossi say, you know, he, athletically, he's 
the biggest freak he's pretty much ever seen on in regards to just physically. And uh, we're that's really going to be put to the test here. Uh, see how big an actual actual physical freak uh, Jason Pierre-Paul is, and it'll be seen by his ability to get back on the field. It will, and if he does it and he does it well, it'll just it'll kind of go uh, with his legend of, of being that freak. So we'll wrap with this, Jordan. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. If he comes back, Joe, I mean, and he's able to be on the field week one after blowing off his finger, uh, you know, five years from now, I think that's essentially what you're going to always remember Jason Pierre-Paul for. He's the guy who blew off his finger and was still back on the field, and was if he's successful, like he was the guy that blew off his finger and then was back on the field two months later and was an, a Pro Bowl player again. And, and that's essentially what his legacy is going to be. It would be. Yeah, the only thing I can compare it to, and this is obviously different and it's more severe because it's a loss of a limb. The only thing that I, I remember thinking that about Terrell Owens when he you know, mangled his leg late in the 2004 season and then was not just you know, back for the Super Bowl but yeah, played great in the Super Bowl. Yeah, well... He almost he he made that go away a little bit by his off the field actions and it's kind of overshadowed that. But I mean, what what else can Jay if Jason Pierre-Paul comes back, right? Let's say he comes back, he's there for the opener. He starts off fine and has ends up having a good season, double digit sacks. What can he do in his career that is ever going to make you put that above, uh, you know, blowing off his finger in a fireworks accident? And coming back two months later and having a Pro Bowl season, I, I, it's hard, I, I have trouble envisioning what that could be. Nothing. And uh, honestly, for his health, I don't want him to try to top it because if he tries to top it, uh, he's going to get himself in, you know, in some more trouble there. So no, nothing could top it. And um, So let me ask you this. I mean, you've covered you know, football here for NJ Advance. You've covered different outlets for a while now. Is this, is this the craziest and strangest story you've ever been a part of? Yeah, the you know the Riley Cooper racial thing was was one you don't want to be close to. Uh, you know the Michael Vick coming back was pretty crazy too with the Eagles. Uh, so those two were up there. I, I really didn't start covering Eagles until after the To thing, but everyone insists that that was the craziest. But Michael Vick coming back was a real uh, you know that was interesting as well because there was a lot of people who didn't want Michael Vick back on the field, uh, and yet. The Eagles signed him out of absolutely nowhere. And, uh, you know, once he came, it, it kind of settled down because he, he handled it actually really well. But the initial shock of Michael Vick signing with the Eagles, especially when they already had two quarterbacks on, the, uh, on their roster it was at the time with uh, McNabb and uh, I almost said Nick Kevin Foles. Cobb, Ke right? Kevin Cobb. Kevin Cobb, yeah. Uh, you know, to, to sign Michael Vick was straight, you know, out of prison. And you know what? Michael Vick showed up. And I'll tell you this little, little quick story. Michael Vick showed up, and, you know, I remember talking to him, and I'm like, you know, so how much did you get to work out or throw the ball around? And he's like, I threw, he threw a football, like, once in, like, a couple of years, in, like, two or three years with his brother, like, in the front yard when he first got out of prison. That was, like, the only time he basically had thrown the football before he showed up with the Eagles. <laughs> so then LaShawn McCoy, was, you know, used to always get on him, and he, he, he doubted Michael Vick's athleticism, so he put some money on the table, and, all, and what Vick had to do, Vick, who, you know, stands at probably six foot on the dot, maybe even a little, a, a smidge below, he says, uh, I'll uh, put this amount of cash on the line. I, let me see you, you know, standing, no running, no steps, dunk a basketball. 
So Michael Vick, after taking it for five minutes, said, all right, let's go. Give me the basketball. Stood underneath the basket. They gave him the basketball. He basically flat-footed, dunked it very easily, by the way, and said, give me my money and walked away. That is a great story. Michael Vick, <laughs> undoubtedly one of the great athletes we have seen in a generation. I mean, he didn't look at, like he said, maybe a smidge under six foot, but he was yeah. an amazing athlete. Yeah, the Eagle, and the Eagle teammates were going nuts. They were, they were all going, whooping it up big time, and they saw him. Just, he's like, all right, just give me the ball. Took the ball. Took like a, he, got, he was able to take like a mini half step, and he threw it down, let me tell you, with plenty of ease, two-handed. And uh, you know that that backboard shook plenty, and, and they were going ballistic. No, I bet that sounds like a, a wild story there. And you know, I was thinking back as you said that, Jordan, to the, the day that he signed. You were talking about how crazy it was, and I I think Twitter was around, but very few people compared to now were on it. I just couldn't imagine if it was today, uh, the way the JPP thing you know went crazy or anything else that we you know any other big story now. Uh, if Vic signed in today's day, when you have Twitter and all the social media blowing up in, in ten seconds. Uh, I could just imagine it was big then, it'd be even bigger now. Yeah, I'm sure uh, there would have been some ridiculous comments out there. And uh, Michael and Marcus Vick, who, by the way, uh, if you ever seen him on Twitter, it's quite it's quite a show. It's quite an uh, experience, is what it is. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> Michael, you know, if you saw Marcus Vick reaction to all the reaction, it would it would definitely uh, you you would be entertained because it would be a complete you know wild. That's the show, you know. It would, be, it would be crazy. Right. I think that's the appropriate way to describe what it's been for the Giants this past week. But hopefully J.C. Pierre-Paul gets himself healthy and hopefully back in the field. We'll be following it. You'll be covering it. Uh, and we'll be talking about it right here on Talk is Cheap. Jordan, appreciate your time as always. And we'll do it again next week. And hopefully uh, we can start actually, you know, getting ready and getting set for training camp and breaking all that kind of stuff down, the NFC East, all that stuff, and maybe move away from Pierre-Paul, who's just, you know, he's taking over the podcast here. Yeah, next week, let's try and get Elliot Shore Park on here, and let's start talking about the NFC East rosters. We were breaking them down, so uh, make sure to go online and look at it. Defense just wrapped up. Uh, Giants defense, surprisingly, fared pretty well in regards to talent-wise in comparison to division. Now, does that mean the Giants defense is talented, or is that just an indictment on the talent in the division? Who knows? But go look at it. Go read it. We'll go. We'll, We'll go over it all next week when we come back here for another episode. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. This has been episode 14. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, check out all of Jordan and Nick's work on nj.com slash Giants. And, of course, uh, check us out and subscribe, iTunes and Stitcher, to the Talk is Cheap podcast. This has been episode 14. Jordan, have yourself a good week. Thanks, we'll do it again. Yep, anytime, Joe. You got it. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>